You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 104. On today's show, I chat with Eli Zoller, a Broadway musician turned financial advisor. We discuss why Eli became an advisor, how finances can be simple, but simple is not necessarily easy, how artists and freelancers can benefit from meeting with a financial planner, how to find a financial advisor or get an answer to your financial questions, and what the worst outcome would be from a meeting with a financial advisor. And quickly, before we start, there's one more chance to fill out our listener survey. It takes two minutes, and it's the top link in the show notes. Please complete it by June 24th. It would be immensely helpful. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I welcome Eli Zoller, a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual. Eli, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. I also want to throw out a disclaimer for you for today's episode that we are just chatting and nothing that either of us say should be taken as actual financial advice. That's fair. I think that's fair. One of the things that um, I always make sure is very delineated when I'm meeting with potential clients is I start a meeting by making it clear whether or not I will intend to make recommendations to people during that meeting. So when it is to, you know, have an opportunity to learn more about somebody's in particular circumstances or what their objectives are. And then we can talk about some of you know the details between different investment strategies or how different sorts of you know insurance policies work and all that. It's educational, not me acting as their advisor in the moment, because that often has to be accompanied by recommendations and not only for the regulatory purposes, as well as just my, you know, my duties as a fiduciary, but it's good for people to know what it is that they're listening to, because if it's advice that they think that should be taken literally or immediately, that's very different than simply saying, Hey, let's talk about this thing that you might not be as familiar with, because for all I know, I might learn something too. Amazing. All right. So for educational purposes, there we're going to There you go. Chat. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So first things first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, I'm proud husband to my wife, Melody, and we are proud parents to our daughter, Maggie, who is seven. My journey in New York City began as soon as I graduated college from the University of Michigan. I won't say how many years ago it was because I don't want to age myself too much, but uh, it wasn't, you know, so long ago um, that uh, when I when I graduated from the University of Michigan with my musical theater degree, I immediately came out, you know, expecting to take the track of being an actor, of going on auditions, pursuing that particular professional world. And I was also fortunate to be in a position that I could make good use of my skills as a musician as well. And uh, I'd been a musician long before I was an actor. I've been a musician since I was four. I quickly started just to see more opportunities to play in pit orchestras or play in recording sessions in the theater community. And I actually had myself convinced for the first few years, oh, I'm just taking all of these extra gigs as a musician between auditions until I looked at my resume one day and realized that almost all of my professional credits, even when they were on stage as an actor, had involved me having an instrument in my hands. Reading the tides, I was just like, maybe that's where I belong. 
Maybe that's maybe I'm not just successful there because I'm good at it. Maybe it's actually a good fit for me personally. I quickly transitioned into the world of being a music director and a musician. And uh, in that process, I met my wife. Um, we were both on a show together. It was actually the last show that I was an actor, but still, um, you know, she was there to, you know, as our relationship began, she was there to support me and saying, actually, if you want to go full time into this other pursuit, you know, of being in the world of music in theater, you can do it. I have, I'm here to support you, which was just, you know, the start of a very, very helpful, <laughs> helpful partnership. We had our, our daughter, Maggie, in late 2014. Um, sorry, early 2015. We were she was due in late 2014. So one more prop to my wife for being extra strong. Um, well, belated Mazel Tov. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, while it was a challenge for the both of us, she was a full-time independent contractor in the fitness world. I was a full-time independent contractor in the theatrical world, being a professional musician. We were able to support one another, you know, and cobble together the way of making sure that those two professions were enough to support a family. Two years later, in late 2016, Maggie was diagnosed with epilepsy and on the autism spectrum. And while neither of those things were terrifying, life-threatening illnesses by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever, uh, or the diagnosis of it, rather, um, we definitely knew at that time that two full-time independent contractors as parents with the obligations that Maggie was going to present to us for an indefinite amount of time was not a sustainable solution. And so I immediately made the decision that I should seek out a second career. I had evaluated it as, okay, am I going to quit theater altogether? Like, how am I going to handle this? What I wanted for myself, but what I wanted for my family was in fact a second career. I wanted something where I could still very much so be involved in my community of professional musicians, artists, collaborators, theatrical professionals, but have a second career that was going to sustain growth and, and support financially for my family. Not a survival job, not the kind of thing where I would be abandoning my pursuit as a music director in the, the, in the professional theater community altogether, but something where I could maintain my relationship both personally and professionally in that world, as well as have a second career that was going to be able to financially present, present some stability for my family. I tried a number of different pursuits, thanks to the support of a number of friends just offering me opportunities. But it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I tripped onto the world of what it might be like to be a financial advisor almost by accident. I, I intentionally used my corporate resume to my advantage by hitting up the Indeeds and the Zip Recruiters and the online uh, means of you know finding work and putting your resume out there into the world. Uh, I, I, I did that a lot, especially early, you know, in the early days of the pandemic. But what came back to me wasn't the stuff that I thought would come back, but people who wanted me to consider their firm as a incoming financial advisor. And I had no had little to no experience in the world of finance at all. My skills, both as a problem solver, experience in the corporate world around financial literacy, even if it wasn't around the world of particularly, you know, of personal finance, and my ability as a performer to know how to have a conversation with somebody, because believe it or not, that is a specific skill, especially in the corporate world. The better firms that I interviewed with wanted that skill specifically because they wanted me to be able to directly relate and empathize to the people that I was hoping to build a client base with and help. 
if you didn't have any finance background, did you did you take a class? Did you get training or did you get the job and then do the training? It was sort of both. I eventually agreed and I'm very proud to be associated with Northwestern Mutual. I'm my my contract is held by the Park Avenue firm here in New York City. And the way that it worked was I had interviewed with them. I'd went through their interview process. I went through a couple of individual screenings as soon as I was made aware that there was a position for me in the incoming training class. I then had to get licensed being a resident of New York and and wanting to work at a New York firm, state of New York. I had to take what's known as the LAH, which is the Life Accident and Health Exam. It is an extensive exam covering all sorts of financial liabilities almost entirely, which are all based around insurance coverages. Because if you want to be licensed to sell any type of insurance in New York state, you have to be licensed to sell every type of insurance. And as soon as passing, I passed this exam, I was admitted into the training class for Northwestern Mutual, where I got specific training based off of uh, their particular policies, their philosophy on being part of their organization, as well as the ins and outs of that organization itself. Upon graduation of that extensive training, which was about two and a half, three weeks long, I was given my contract. All right. Well, fantastic. So you've been a financial advisor now for a year and a half? About a year and a half. Yeah. I got my first interview with Northwestern Mutual in early January of 2021. And it's now so about a year and a quarter, a little more than a year and a quarter. And so you were an actor and a musician. Were you in any unions then? And are you still in those? I was. I was a member of Actors Equity and I am still a member of the local 802 AFM. Uh, I'm simply not a member of Actors' Equity anymore because I haven't been on stage for a number of years. I mean, can we talk about a perfect fit for this show? Actor, musician, now financial advisor. <laughs> You're my hero. You're real, real, you know, real heroes don't wear capes, I guess. <laughs> but um, it, it, there were lots of opportunities that I had received before this, but I would have had to have given up something. Right. I had a number of opportunities where I could have joined a corporate world, but they told me, actually, we're not sure you're the right fit because we don't want a theater guy. Their loss, in my opinion, because I was qualified. They just simply didn't see me as the right fit because of my background. There were other opportunities that said, we're proud of your background. We just want you to be only with us. Your background is just that. It's it's in your past. We don't want somebody who's also going to be involved with another professional community. Northwestern Mutual, they knew that my involvement with additional communities was a resource to me in my practice, not just because it was an opportunity to reach out to more people. How can you empathize with people that you're not actually on the same level with at, a, at, a, at an ongoing basis? Yeah. Okay. All right. I have a couple more icebreaker questions before we get to talking about finance. (laughs) Um, And first off is your demographics. Can you describe your demographics for us? All right. So my my demographics, very specific. Yes, I'm a 37-year-old white male uh, married to the coolest woman I know, also proud father, uh, located in Manhattan, New York City. I have a a Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, from University of Michigan in musical theater. How about your creative personality? What is a live event that you like to experience or a piece of art that you like? I'm I'm a sucker for for intimate concert settings. My my wife and I have our our favorite band is the Punch Brothers. um, And we've seen them on any large number of venues. Uh, You know, the Beacon Theater. uh, we, We went out to Colorado and saw them at Red Rocks. 
The best concert we ever saw them at was at New, Year, uh, New Year's Eve at Webster Hall with about 250 other people. Like that was the coolest concert I've ever been to in my life. And I love small concert things. All right. Now your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? I am phenomenal with other people's money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean that I mean that almost exactly as as it sounds. I'm very proud of my my track record as well as my ability to empathize with people's particular circumstances to give them appropriate advice for what to do with their money. And in doing so, that actually tends to educate me because while I do feel like I've always been, what's the right word, uh, respectful of money and of my relationship with money, that relationship has had a lot of ups and downs because of my obligations to my family, to my daughter, and also to the fact that when I moved to New York City, it almost immediately all went away because I was invested with my savings and then 2008 happened. And I didn't Mm. know enough about what investing meant or what market reactions could do, which are lofty conversations, but I didn't even bring them down into a personal level of knowing what that was going to do for me on a regular basis. And so I was just sort of left out there exposed, took the next decade and a half to learn all of my other lessons from doing rather than from learning about it from other people's experiences or or the easy way, which is just being, you know, delivered financial literacy through some other means. All right. So now let's talk about I guess financial advisors for creatives. I've sort of always had the philosophy that nobody needs a financial advisor. <laughs> and and I only say that in the sense of the Warren Buffett idea of put your money in index funds or in safe havens and and don't lose it and just let it sit forever. I feel like that advice comes back again and again. However, you have to be disciplined if you're going to heed that simple advice. <laughs> But that being said, it's like we're all so busy that if we take a little bit of time and sort of set up our plan and figure out what what am I going to do with my life and my finances and what do I need, I always think if anybody can do that for themselves, then they just sort of put it on autopilot and they're set. And so I don't think people need financial advisors. That being said, Nicole and I have a financial advisor and we've had one for... Uh, seven years, something like that. We were actually looking for an accountant and they said, we'll be your accountant, but we want to be your financial advisor as well. It sort of comes together. And so we didn't know what we were doing. So we said yes. And then we, of course, went in and actually the majority of it was more about the financial advisor than the, the taxes. But we've been very happy with it. But in talking to you in prep for this episode, I have never met somebody, and I realize you are a financial advisor, so let's say you have a dog in the fight. You you seem to be encouraging of people in the arts getting financial advisors. You know, even if, even if let's say, you are an actor and maybe you're not Tom Hanks, so you're not making the huge amounts of money, you seem to think that it's still a good idea to meet with somebody about finances, etc. I'm going to get your thoughts on this, uh, and I guess I'll ask the question like this. Do people in the arts need financial advisors? I, I learned a little bit about your experience just now, actually, that I didn't know before. So that's a lot to intake. I'll start by saying I'll start by saying this. As an actor, the last thing I thought I needed was an agent because I felt that I could represent myself better than anybody else could. While that might be true, I can represent myself better than anybody else. The nature of what an agent does for me that I'm not necessarily aware of, the relationships that they obtain, 
and the buffer that they would put between me and the roles that I would be able to acquire is an essential part to the infrastructure of how actors obtain reliable and consistent work. You mentioned something like the Warren Buffett mentality of, you know, just put it in indexes and let it grow. I will bet you that if we gathered 10 actors randomly from an audition right now at Telsey or at, at Pearl Studios, and we lined them up and we said, okay, truth serum, tell me about how much money you have in the bank and tell me about what your plans are for five years. A majority of them would not have the means to put it into those index funds. One of the quick things that I learned is that having money does not equal having a plan. No matter how much time you have with that money or how much money that tends to be. If that is the case, then I firmly believe that the opposite must be true, that no lack of money should be a, something that prevents from but somebody from having a plan. When we were in a position where we just received Maggie's diagnosis, we had not saved anything for retirement. We had very little saved up in the bank. We were only in the, in the black thanks to uh, generous gifts from people from our wedding. And we knew, we saw the medical bills coming, we saw the things that we were going to need to do in order to provide for Maggie's regular care, that that number was going to turn red faster than we could help it. We just, we weren't making enough to, to be able to support that. And we knew what was coming. We saw the tidal wave approaching shore from miles out, and there was nothing we could do about it. But we didn't really have anybody to talk to, or really, we didn't think we did, because of two reasons. The first was we were scared. But the second was we saw our circumstances as being so unique that no financial professional would either be in a position to understand them or take us on as clients because we didn't have anything to provide for our future. We were simply trying to weather a storm that was inevitable. The reason why a number of people feel, I think, hesitation towards obtaining a financial advisor, uh, and I think you and I actually talked a little bit about this in sort of preparation for this, is because they feel that they have to have some sort of money in order to obtain their services. When I looked for my the best place to start my practice, of course, I didn't want it to be, you know, I, I'm not running a not-for-profit here. This is, a, this is, you know, a way I make a living, but I wanted to be a resource to people who might not necessarily have the same means as others. So one of the things that Northwestern Mutual affords me is they afford me the ability to speak to people without charging for my time. Do actors really need a financial advisor? I don't know. Everybody else's circumstances are, people's circumstances are individual. If you offered an actor a free agent, a free representative for their work. I don't think they'd turn it down. I'm just, I'm just trying to be a member of as many people's team as I can. And if that means meeting people where they, where they are, then that's not just what I intend to do. That's my privilege to do so. I think a coach is invaluable. I think somebody that has more experience in something is invaluable. I am sort of a little bit turning around on my view about financial advisors. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Well, you know, it's and I've I've turned around on my view on 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 agents as well, but it it took me removing myself from the equation to really have that respect for them. So I get it. And and again, and that's why I always throw in the caveat of we have a financial advisor. I'm saying not, but I have one. <laughs> and if ours is listening, uh, they're the best in the business. <laughs> When you say Northwestern Mutual lets you talk to people without charging for your time, what does that mean? Like, can I get an hour with you? You said you certainly can. Absolutely. Um, Northwestern Mutual holds my contract and they help me uh, obtain my income based off of 
uh, work that I generate for my clients, as well as, you know, making sure that my contract is always with them as opposed to being an independent agent where I would just pay myself. Every firm is different and there's no right or wrong way to do this. I just knew for myself that if I wanted to be able to speak to people who may not necessarily have the means to invest right away or, or you know, put a significant amount of savings into a plan, uh, that I didn't want to be in a position where I had to charge for my time. Got it. And I'm just curious, the clients that you have, is this right for people like right out of college? Should they meet with you? Or is this better for, you know, mid-career people or people nearing retirement? What's what's the target person that you're looking to help? That's a great question. Um, and it's difficult because there's no specific answer on the whole. But for me personally, I can certainly give some insight into who I feel I'm best suited to be in contact with right now. My my doors are always open. You could be straight out of college or just about to retire or anywhere in between. If you want to talk to me, I'm happy to speak with you. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a people person. It's just in my nature. I'm happy to speak to anybody about their circumstances. The means by which I can be of an assist, be of assistance to you is, is completely, you know, on an independent basis. Uh, I have found that one of the qualifying factors that I think is critical, no matter where you are on that timeline, is if you're not in a position to talk about what you want from your financial goals past this month's expenses, then you might not be in a place to speak with a financial advisor yet. And that only means that you haven't done the thought process and you 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 haven't done the work to acquire the thought process that financial advisors in order to develop a financial plan around. And so if you are straight out of college and you have a 10-year plan and you know exactly where you want to go and you're already saving money, absolutely. This is a great opportunity for you to speak to a financial advisor because you can get insight into the best ways of allocating those funds in order to help you in your short-term goals as well as get the sort of long-term buckets started because you can't grow what's not what's not working for you, right? You can't, you know, there's there's no such thing as as hesitational progress. While at the same time, if that person is 10 years out of college, but they're making a career shift and they don't have any sort of insight as as to what it is that they are looking at, but they know they've made their career change for a reason, that's also a good opportunity to speak to, to to a financial advisor to answer those questions anew, to say, okay, if I'm looking at a new career with a new way of earning money and it did it specifically because I want to be able to support my family, specifically because... I want to stop paying for healthcare out of pocket, and this job offered me an opportunity to do to do just that. Um, or it's simply a passionate move that they wanted to make that's best for them, and they want to be sure that their you know financial security comes with them. That's just as good a reason to engage a financial advisor to say, "Hey, this is my circumstances. What do what do you recommend given where I want to go?" So while there is no specific answer to that, I'll speak to me personally. Uh, I've had the privilege of the majority of my my client base being either currently professionals who are in artistic pursuits, who are actors on Broadway, musicians on Broadway, actors seeking experience in television, uh, creative professionals such as directors, choreographers. In addition to that, people who have recently transitioned into a new career from there, either going from acting to producing. I know a lot, I have a lot of clients who were on the performance side of things who are now on the uh, production management side of things, which is a unique aspect to our career to, or to, to our professional world, rather, uh, because those people more often than not do obtain regular salaries, but they get no benefits. There's a delta there that 
can be addressed. While I do work with a few people who have nothing to do with uh, our world, I work with a few fantastic teachers, uh, medical professionals. Uh, my the, the two categories that I think are really in my wheelhouse to assist people with, regardless of their circumstances, are couples or partners who either have begun or are hoping to start their families, because that's something that I can directly empathize with and how I would have wanted my financial journey to have started. And people who are experiencing or have already begun a career shift within the industry, within the professional industry or outside of it. um, That's something that I can certainly empathize with in short order for myself. And so with those two things, those are, I think, two demographics of people that I think are, are uniquely suited for me to be able to help with both on an empathetic and experienced level right now with the caveat of, but if you are an arts professional and you simply don't know where to turn to get your financial journey started, that's what my, the mission of my practice is truly based on is being a resource to those people where the infrastructure has not been there, might not be there in their future. And it's going to be on them individually to make sure that that is built. I love that you're so connected to the arts, obviously, because that, that, that was who you were and still are uh, before this before this career. And I know there are other advisors out there who have come from the theater world or the creative world or arts worlds and then gone into financial advising and accounting and, and those professions who then reach back out to their circle and help them with their lives. But let's just say uh, somebody doesn't know you and they don't know one of these other theatrical advisors what kind of advisors should people in the arts be looking for? Is it people like you or could I just go to any Northwestern Mutual office or any financial office anywhere and just walk in and say, okay, I'm here and I'm ready without thinking about, oh, is this person, do they know about artists and freelancers? That's a great question. And I I, want to coin that phrase theatrical advisor too. I think that was pretty, (laughs) pretty smart. I think the one thing that you should look for in a financial advisor uh, is empathy. Find somebody who can empathize with your particular circumstances. One of the reasons why I want my practice to be a resource to arts professionals is because one of the last things anybody likes doing is explaining how they make their money, or frankly, how in times they don't. That's not anything anybody's going to have to explain to me, right? So not only does that give me the opportunity to say, I know where you're coming from, it gives whoever is talking to me the comfort of knowing that they're not going to have to sit there and explain themselves. But one of the things that I've experienced, and I, you know, while I would say, yeah, absolutely, send everybody you know to me, that that's not what's best for anybody. I think the thing that you can do is engage your friends, right? Engage people who are in similar circumstances to yourself and say, do you know anybody? Have you had success working with a financial advisor? What was it about? Why did you talk to them? And at no point in time do you ever have to say, like, how much do you are you invested? How much are you insured for? You know, what you know, how much debt did you have to work out of with, with your advisor? That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about what your experience was like and why they pursued that particular advisor when they did, right? Because my first experience with a financial advisor was a few months before Maggie was born, and it's because I didn't have life insurance and I knew I needed it. That was it. That was the whole conversation. And while I didn't know that there was so much more that went into what a financial advisor would be talking to me about, that was my opportunity to be educated into a world that I didn't even know I had available to me, let alone was something important. How did I find my advisor? I asked around to a few friends who I thought had financial experience. And lo and behold, one of my friends who I had worked with on some University of Michigan Alumni Association stuff 
was an employee at Northwestern Mutual. It happened faster and closer than I had even thought. Like I thought I was going to have to go into a whole different world of people I didn't even know and speak a language I had never spoken in my life. And it was my friend that I organized, uh, you know, a silent raffle at a bar with to auction Michigan football tickets. That 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 was you know that was that was how it happened. So it, when when you're talking about who you're looking for as artists, look for people who can empathize with your circumstances. But really, as anybody, ask around, ask people who you trust, who know people, who you know you have shared experience with. Ask them what their experience was like. Perhaps they'll say to you, much like you said to me. You know, my advisor works in a very, very specific model that's not right for everybody. If I was looking for a financial advisor and Ethan, I had asked you who you work with, I would have gotten that information and it would have led me in an appropriate direction to say, oh, so Ethan's person isn't right for me. Who is? Then now you're asking proactive questions. I mean, I, it, it's, it's such a simple answer you're giving. And in a way, it sounds like, oh, well, that's not, you know, that's not a hidden trick I didn't know about. But so many times on this show, the answer to things like that is... Well, turn to your left and ask, or turn to your right and ask. It's the people around you will help you. And what you hit on at the end, be proactive. Like, you have to go looking for it. It's not going to fall into your lap unless you randomly walk into the same room as Eli, and he finds out you're an artist, and then he says, hey, great, are you focusing on your finances? <laughs> but that, that would have to be some random occurrence, which, of course, isn't going to happen now when we're all on Zoom all the time. Just re-emphasizing that point is so right. And again, that's why this show exists is because in my life, I found that I was sometimes wanting to ask people financial questions or I was hearing bad financial advice. And I'm no financial advisor. I know nothing about money, but I do read a lot. And so I hear people giving advice in the theater and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, giving advice to somebody else who assumes they do. And here I'm thinking, oh my gosh, no, 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 don't do it that way. So that's why this show exists is because you have to talk to the people around you like you have to. You tripped on something that I, I emphasize a lot when speaking to my clients. The answer is actually quite simple. Here's the unique thing about simple. More often than not, people think that the opposite of complicated is easy. It is not. The opposite of complicated is simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. Simple things can be hard to do. And there is this inherent roadblock that we almost naturally have to not want to talk about money. In a number of social circumstances, that is the appropriate move. When it comes to needing answers for things, that would be like saying, I've got a pain in my leg, but we don't talk about doctors. I've got a legal problem, but we don't talk about attorneys, right? We don't do that. There's something specific about money that makes people very self-conscious to the point of almost not acting on things. You want financial plans to be flexible. You don't want to be locked into anything that's going to commit you to something that you're not going to be comfortable with in the future. And as a financial advisor myself, I insist on flexibility around my, my, my financial planning for my clients, not just because you know the business ebbs and flows, but so does life. And like money needs to react with what you want it to react to. That's, that's a fact. But flexibility doesn't mean indecision. It doesn't mean being indecisive. And simply, as you said, like overhearing what other people are talking about, their advice might be great for the person they're talking to. Circumstances being what they are and everybody's money circumstances being unique, start the conversation with the person you can start a conversation with on a broader level. A financial advisor is that person. The worst that happens is you find out that you had done everything right 
That's literally <laughs> the worst that could happen. Actually, that's a, that's a great. I love that way of looking at it. The worst you could have done is done everything right. Right. And there are, but there are all sorts. I mean, I, I also don't want to disregard, and forgive me for going on a bit of a tangent here. I don't want to disregard the naturally scary things about money. Debt is scary. Budgeting is intimidating. Taxes suck. <laughs> they, they are not fun at all. We don't like take, take an actor's career, for example. Nobody ever silos their individual threats as a triple or a quadruple threat. They might work on them individually for that particular trait, but they are an embodiment of all of those things. Your financial plan should be the same thing. So being in a place where you can talk about everything on the level with an empathetic individual who understands your circumstances, that's the ace in the hole. That's the, that's the, that's the coach you want on your team. I love it. I also love your differentiation between simple and easy because I think that's something I put together on this show. I'm always saying it's so easy, but you're right. It's not easy. Doing it can be hard and disciplined, but the overarching idea is simple. Since you said a lot of your clients are from the performing arts or the art creative arena, do you get sort of pushback? Do you get any objections to them saying, I don't need a financial advisor? Um, or what's what sort of common objections do you get when encouraging sort of artists to to look into their financial life? I get objections from everybody, no matter what you do for a living. Uh, the two most common objections that I think if you'd look at the track record of how financial advisors have done their jobs over the past 50 years, the two most common objections are, no, I've already got a guy, or no, thanks, I'm all set. Nobody's ever all set. Priorities change all the time. And I've already got a guy might be good, but where did that guy originate from and how much are they doing for you? And could another member of your team be helpful are always questions that I follow up with, but from artists specifically. The most common objection I hear, and it's scary. This subjection scares me. I just don't know what's coming next. So it's a bad time for me to be planning what my finances are going to look like. That's like saying it's too sunny out to fix my roof. So long as we are still doing what it is that we do as actors, as musicians, stagehands, dancers, any sort of independent contractor who works from opportunity to opportunity, the consistency will never be predictable. Even in good times, income will be volatile. And the predictability of knowing where you will be professionally a certain number of years down the road will always be up for circumstantial change. That is the best reason to start talking about your finances now. Not only are you not able to predict some of the things that other people are able to predict, you need to take control of what you can take control of now. That's not to say you have to invest. That's not to say you have to be out of debt. That's not to say that you have to know what you're going to want years down the road. Flexibility does not mean indecision. You have to have these conversations soon. And I don't ever mean to say this to scare anybody, but it scares me when people say, I can't talk to you now because I don't know what my job's going to be a month from now. While that is the truth, and I'd want to respect the emotional volatility of that, money doesn't react to emotion. So making emotional decisions with money doesn't ever do what you think it's going to do. Having been in significant medical debt for my family and gotten out of it, having been in the career of being a musician and being a full-time independent contractor in that world, knowing that I had to make my own way the entire time without 
inherent benefits from any job I ever had, Broadway or otherwise, and being in a position where I know this world of financial planning because I've studied it and I've made it my passion to be a resource means that it is never a bad time based off of what your job description is or job outlook is to start those conversations. It's intimidating. I don't want to diminish that. But the biggest objection I hear that I simply hope goes away, it's a bad time for me to be talking about to a financial planner right now because I don't know, my future's not consistent professionally. On the contrary, that makes this the perfect time. Well, I think think objections, everything stems from fear. And I think boiled down to it, for me on a personal level, I don't like exposing my finances to anybody. Whatever excuse I gave for no financial advisor previously, I'm sure deep down it was fear of someone's going to actually look at these numbers and have a reaction. And also, also this person has a stable career as a financial advisor. So they're going to be looking at it like, what the heck? (laughs) And that's, you just brought up two really good points that I'd love to combat. Somebody's going to look at it and say, what the heck? If you're getting judgment from your financial advisor, then they're hurting themselves more than they're hurting you. I get nothing from judging my clients. I get nowhere. As a matter of fact, I probably lose the trust that I naturally want from them in order to be able to help them. You can count on it being a judgment-free zone when you talk to me, because otherwise I'm not going to be very good at my job. Uh, The second thing that you said that I would offer a solution to is the nature that you you don't want to speak to somebody because now they're going to learn about all your finances. Ask right away. Do you have strict client, uh, you know, client advisor confidentiality? I insist on it. Everybody worth speaking to, no matter what their institution should insist on it. That way, if you like your experience with me and you know three friends who would also benefit from talking to me, you know that your information is safe and you can recommend them to a safe place as well. Eli, making me comfortable here with uncomfortable topics. <laughs> okay, so, all right, we've got objections. So for artists... As you're advising them, is there anything unique about arts professionals versus other people with stable careers for their financial strategies? What I need to do with my finances as a freelancer, as an artist, is that different or what's unique about that versus somebody with a steady nine to five job? That's sort of the, 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 you know, the flip the coin answer. What's different? Everything. And nothing. While the circumstances are very specific to being a professional in the arts world and being an independent contractor when it comes to how you file your taxes, when it comes to what you should budget for on a monthly basis as opposed to a five-year basis, what your plan is going to look like in general, yeah, it should look different. It absolutely should look different. There are rules of thumb around all sorts of planning. I personally believe that actors should be more conservative with how they keep their cash and more aggressive with how they invest. And now that's not to say that this is financial advice here, right? But more often than not, that's what I'm advising my clients to do, right? Have more cash on hand. But if you're going to invest, don't just dip your toe into the water. Have a specific strategy to know exactly how much volatility you can experience with those investments because long-term they're going to do you more good and you don't want to use that tool unless it's going to work as hard as it possibly can for you. On the flip side of that question, though, is, you know, what is unique about what artists can do with their money? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot, because there's no such thing as an artist's 401k. There's no such thing as an artist's retirement fund. There's no such thing as an artist's um, investment or life insurance policy or anything like that. All of the things that are all, all of the means anyways, 
that are accessible to people who work nine to fives are accessible to, to, to professional independent contractors and artists as well. You have just as many resources to save for your retirement. You have just as many resources to invest, to do budget wise, but also you know wealth enhancing insurance planning, estate planning, all, all the things that you know people think are high level because you need to make a certain amount of money or have a certain career to obtain them. No, they're readily available. You just need to know how to how to pursue them and where to look. And having a team member to help you do that is always a valuable resource. You're making it sound so simple to get a financial advisor. <laughs> Why won't everyone do it? I, I I know the biggest thing for Nicole and I when we were young, young and in love is we thought we don't have enough money for a financial advisor. And I don't think we were wrong necessarily. But when those people said, hey, we'll be your financial advisor uh, if you want our accountant, <laughs> we said, OK, but we don't have a lot of money. And they said, that's totally cool, which was a shocking answer to us. Like, we just assumed they were going to be like, well, you need a million dollars. So they said, here's the deal. Yes, we do have high net worth clients. However, we have a program for anyone less than that. And here's what we do. We just put it in. And they, they said what their plan was. And they said, this is what we'll do with your money. And then presumably and hopefully in years to come, it will be larger. And then we can graduate you to... Uh, more active investing or something like that because you don't charge for your time so anybody can meet with you and chat with you if they want to invest with you or get your financial advice do they have to have a minimum amount to start uh there's no minimum amount to have a conversation with me or to obtain my services what i would recommend to somebody i base off of my own scale of how comfortable one is with with their own personal finances at that time. If somebody has $50,000 to invest, but they're also sitting on $30,000 of debt, that is going to greatly affect the advice that I'm comfortable giving, as opposed to somebody who's just starting out with a nest egg of $10,000, but has no debt. It's very circumstantial. I do not charge for my time because I have the, 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 the means with my association with Northwestern Mutual that I do not have to charge for my time. While it might not be advisable for people with small sums of money or even just you know a little bit of money who are still paying off debt to do all of the things that one hopes to do, like invest and like save for their retirement, the objective of my work is not to get people to invest or to get people to purchase policies. It's to create a plan so that those, all of those things are possible within the realm of what is plausible. How are you making your money versus what it is that you actually want to do with it? What your goals are versus your time horizon in order to make that happen. And my first responsibility is to make sure that my advice is unbiased and, and clear, right? So if you were to come to me saying, I've got five, five years before I want to retire and I haven't saved anything, I'm going to say, then we're in a real tough spot, right? I don't care how much money you got. We're, 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 we're tight. It's, it's tough. But if you were, say, in your late 20s, and you simply hadn't had any conversations about your retirement yet, and you're still paying off student loans, and you're still making a lower wage, but you want to have these conversations now, not only as a person do I think that that's a good conversation for me to have with somebody, but as a financial advisor, I see that as well worth my time, and we can come up with a strategy that'll work for you. It seems like the trick here is people taking the leap to say, all right, I'm going to go get a financial advisor, or at least I'm going to go meet with a financial professional and just chat it out. So let's say that people have gotten over that hurdle and they're going to go chat with somebody. 
is the best way, and we've, we've turned left or we've turned right and said, hey, who do you have as a financial advisor? And you've gotten to one. Do I need to prep anything or should I just send that person an email or call them and say, hey, I'd like to talk with you? I think it just starts by reaching out. Hey, my name is so-and-so. I got your information from so-and-so. Or I, heard, I heard about you through such-and-such, right? Like if somebody, you know, looks me up after listening to, you know, this this podcast, they can say, I heard I heard your conversation with Ethan on the podcast. That's how I got your information. It's always helpful just to know where somebody's coming from. After that, I want to speak to you about my financial future. When is a good time for you? Any financial advisor worth their salt will know that that's just, that's, that was the hardest thing for anybody to do. Me personally, whenever I do set an initial meeting with somebody, I only ask one thing of them, and that is to prepare questions. The best use of my time for you is to answer whatever questions are at the front of your mind. Not only is that a good way for me to me to, you know, meet you and understand where you are today, but if I'm the wrong person for you based off what's on your mind, I need to know that for your well-being and mine as well as soon as possible. If all of your questions are surrounding taxes, you shouldn't be talking to me. You should be talking to a tax professional. If all of your questions are around investing but you don't make enough money to pay your monthly bills, we need to have a very, very different conversation than what it is that you're having. Let's set those expectations now. But one of the things that I think we talked about earlier, which is, you know, put yourself in in a mental space where you're going to be comfortable speaking about your finances. That's the first step. And as soon as you're there, reach out to somebody, say how you know, how, how you heard about them and ask them if they can find some time to have a conversation. I'm going to wrap up here. Is there anything else about financial advisors or the emotions or any of this that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk on? You know, while, while people's jobs descriptions are always unique, we, we get into a trap of thinking that the more unique the, the, the type of job, the less plausible it is that financial planning is going to work out in our, to our benefit. Uh, in, our, in our industry, that's something we call head trash. You're just convincing yourself that there is an easier way to go if you don't do anything about it. I didn't say any of this was easy. I would never make that assumption on anybody's part. I was terrified of speaking about my finances three, four years ago when we were in significant medical debt. I was actually doing better. I was playing more shows. I was taking on more students. I was playing more music and I just couldn't get out from under it. And the notion of that was just so emotionally heavy to have a conversation with somebody about that. That seemed like too much work on my part. While I don't ever invalidate people's emotional circumstances, money doesn't react to emotion. The best thing you can do in order to take your next step into some sort of sort of financial security is reaching out to somebody to say, you know what, I'm available for this sort of conversation. It might not be easy, but let's do it. I love it. Eli, I thank you so much for all this because that mental hurdle is just so big. But it's like once you get an advisor, once you make your plan, you have it. Like Nicole and I did it seven years ago, and it's unchanged really from seven years ago. Okay, tweaks. But it's like before we did it, it was like, well, we're never going to do it. And then it just happened for us. Yeah. It's great. But like that hurdle, that hurdle is just so... Don't don't go the road alone, I guess, is a good thought. You know, whether that means getting an advisor or whether it means talking to your parents or an uncle or a, a colleague, somebody who knows, you know, a lot. Um, definitely just talk about it with people. So thank, thank you for being here and saying all that. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. One question before you go, which is where can people find you? Professionally through my email, 
Eli, E-L-I dot Zoller, Z-O-L-L-E-R at N-M, as in Northwestern Mutual, dot com. Eli Zoller at N-M dot com. All right, Eli, thank you so much for doing this. Um, yeah, I cannot thank you enough. This, it's, a, it's a heavy topic, even though I try to pretend that it's not, and I try to say, you know, things like it's simple and we got to talk about it. I do understand this is a, t- a tough topic for a lot of people. And so I'm so glad because you are very forceful and encouraging people to, you know, get advisors or talk about it and figure it out. Um, and I think that's just a good energy to have. So, so thank you for bringing it. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are, Eli said meeting with a financial advisor is for when you're thinking about your finances past the upcoming month. Now, this goes back to the importance of saving for yourself. If you aren't saving, you don't have any money to invest. And if you don't have any money to invest, well, what is the financial plan? So if you're thinking about a financial advisor, you at least need to be able to entertain the idea of saving monthly. If you're listening to this show, you're likely in the right mindset to seek a meeting with a financial advisor, and you're probably setting aside money from every paycheck, But if you aren't sure whether or not you're ready to meet, just ask yourself, am I thinking of my finances past the next month? Looking for empathy in an advisor. Now, you may think that you don't need empathy. What you need is someone to take your money and make it grow. But Eli said something that struck a chord with me, which was no entertainment industry worker likes to explain how they make their money or, frankly, how they aren't making money. Now, To me, that is huge. I know I myself don't talk to my family about my work ever, not because they don't care and not because I don't want to tell them, but a majority of people on this planet make money from a steady paycheck. Just getting over the hurdle of explaining gig to gig, no access to a 401k, no access to health benefits is not a conversation that is ever entertaining or ever quick. So while I've never really thought that finding an advisor connected to the arts was that important, that is certainly one thing I would appreciate in an advisor. Now, Nicole and I already have an advisor and we already had that conversation about gig to gig. So I've already crossed that bridge. But if you haven't, that might be something to look out for. Being proactive is important and engage with your friends, engage with your colleagues. If the people around you don't have the answer, then you can go to God Google. Or vice versa, start at God Google, and if that doesn't give you the answer, then go ask your friends. Not knowing what the future holds is the best reason to make a financial plan. No one predicted COVID, but we all knew that a time like that was going to come. Even if you don't want the help of a financial advisor, you should still have a financial plan. And that financial plan could be get my finances in shape and then go find an advisor in five years' time. My final takeaway has nothing to do with finance. It's about the terms in the black and in the red. This is something that has confused me, so I just want to clarify it for anyone else who thinks the English language is confusing. Now, Eli said he and his wife were in the black thanks to generous gifts for their wedding. Now, black in finance is the opposite of red. In the red means you are in debt. Cash flowing out is written in red, so when the balance sheet turns red, it means you've spent more money than you have in income. In the black means you have money. You're turning a profit. So the balance sheet has more money coming in than has gone out. 
So everyone's goal in life is to be in the black. Now, this has confused me because I always think green should be the color of profit. I always think the phrase should be in the green. Red, bad, stop. Green, good, go. Also in the USA, green is the color of the dollar. However, since it's a balance sheet and accountants are not crazy and wild like us color-enabled artsy types, profit is labeled as black. Red, easy to understand, means debt. Black sounds terrible, but in fact means profit. Now, if you're listening, wondering, how could Ethan ever be confused by the obvious profitable phrase in the black? Let me explain a bit more. I went to school for theater, which means I had to take theater history classes and script analysis classes, which resulted in me reading all sorts of literature, including the very first story ever written, ever carved in cuneiform in 2000 BCE, which was 4,000 years ago. Now, it was the story of Gilgamesh, which is a story about a king from 2700 BCE. Now we're talking about 5,000 years old. And then, of course, I read things like Shakespeare and Chaucer, etc., etc., etc. Now, I'm not even going to talk about the Black Plague, which is not a good thing. But in English folklore, a black dog signifies death or demon or demon death. So, you know storytellers, nothing in a story can just be a thing. It has to be symbolic. For example, in 1901, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Hound of the Baskervilles. The hound is associated with, spoiler alert, death. Now, that's a story that revolves entirely around death, murder, etc. But let's say you're going to write a character into a story and just spitballing here... You call them Sirius Black. Now that seems innocent enough, but everything has to symbolize something. So anyone who's taken an astronomy class might know that Sirius is the brightest star in the sky. And it's part of the constellation Canis Major, a.k.a. the bigger dog. The other name for Sirius, the dog star. If I were to write a character named Sirius Black, a.k.a. the black dog star, it's a fair assumption that they're going to be associated with death and ghosts in some way. Again, that's just spitballing a character name out of the blue, but admit it, you're now going to start noticing black dogs in storytelling. And that, my friends, is why I find it hard to associate in the black with a good thing. But it is, and I hope that everybody listening to this show is not in the red, not turning green, not feeling blue, but is in the black. So what did you think? What did you think of Eli? Did you enjoy the episode? Did you learn anything? Let me know by sending an email to artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. I check all those emails and I'm receptive to every single comment. An update on our newest patron, Andy Lowe, all the way from London. Andy is a gaffer and electrician for film and TV on his website, low.lighting, L-O-W-E dot lighting, Andy has posted free lighting list templates. So if you're an electrician and you want to keep yourself organized, go check them out. Now, they include English UK gear, but they can certainly be tweaked to account for whatever gear you use. And now what I love about these templates, one, they're very organized. Two, Andy is sharing resources 
free of charge to anyone. Find a link to his website in the show notes. Andy, it's an honor to have you as a patron. Now, Andy joined at the co-producer level. I thank him for that. Patrons of all levels get early access to episodes and the outtakes from the interviews. Today's outtakes include Eli's favorite Broadway show that he ever played an instrument for, and Nicole and I filing extensions on our taxes. Hear that and become a patron at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And not to be outdone by Andy and his free content, remember, any of our bonus content is available for free. Just email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and I'll share whatever you're looking for. If you haven't taken our listener survey, please do. It's in the link at the top of the show notes. We rescheduled our podcast strategy session to June 24th. So so if you listen to this before then, please take two minutes and fill out that survey. You can do it right now. It'll only take one minute and seven seconds or something like that. That's it for today. Until next week, stay away from strange black dogs and break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.